Hello and welcome to Switzer Investing. I'm Peter Switzer. Thanks for joining me. And on tonight's program, we have an interesting way of looking at tech stocks. I asked Michael Wayne of Medallion Financial to join us at a webinar earlier this week, and I asked him, what are your five favourite tech stocks? He looked at those, and he also looked at a number of other questions that came from the audience, uh, other tech companies that he actually has a view on, some not a strong positive view, some a little bit of a negative view. Uh, and they cover companies like Tyro, uh, Dicadata, One Technology, uh, Seek, a number of other interesting companies, including Ordinate. These are all the companies that he looks at, and you might be interested to hear what he has to say about these companies going forward. Then we have ST Wong looking at what his best investments are right now, and then Ryan Gear of Rate Money looks at the outlook for the property market. That's the show, so let's kick off now with Michael Wayne from Medallion Financial. Earlier this week, Maureen Jordan and myself had a webinar with Michael Wayne of Medallion Financial, and he was asked a number of questions around tech stocks, particularly the tech stocks he really likes, and some of the others that the people in the group asked him questions about. I've never asked you this before, um, but what are your top three or top five tech stocks? Yeah, I'll go, I'll go to five. Um, <clears throat> so basically there's companies like Ordinate, which we've discussed, I think, a few yep. times over yep. the last 12 months. That's a business that we, we like a lot. Um, it basically has a protocol which allows different pieces of electronic communication to communicate with each other without the need for cords. Um, it's basically embedded in 80 or 85% of all new electronics coming to market. So that's all your big brands like Yamaha, Bosch, um, Bosch, all those. Rios, so it's, all it's those so world significant. They all have put their... Basically, yeah, because it's, it's a protocol. So, all the, it's, so they're not... It, it's basically a little piece of, of technology that allows all these pieces to communicate. And it's so superior to the previous technology that... Well, Bluetooth. Bluetooth was an example, but that was more of a cooperative and was nowhere near as powerful. But it also enables large pieces of electronics that you would see at, say, a football stadium or a concert to communicate with each other. Mm -hmm. So that's one. Um, another one that we quite like is Altium, and we've liked this one for many, many years. Went through a bit of a consolidation phase, um, but it had a very good update um, recently in August. Um, they've transitioned their business model to a more of a SaaS model, whereas in the past it was more of a one-off licensing fee. Uh, so that's a company that reported very well, held up and performed really well again just today, for example. So there's a bit of positivity in the market for that. Um, some old favourites such as realestate.com, mm. Seek, if you can classify them as tech businesses, they yes, are a bit more mature, but these are the sort of companies that we think, although they've come back a long way, will in time recover very quickly because they're doing a lot of good things. They've got very profitable businesses and they'll be able to fund their growth internally, as, yeah. as we discussed earlier. Um, and then finally, um, one like Promedicus, which is a bit of a hybrid tech and healthcare name involved in <clears throat> diagnostic imaging. That's another business that we like a lot in the tech space and still hold for clients. Okay. Um, and any of those five, we would be comfortable in picking up on a long-term time horizon, but do tier your investment stages. So, don't, so say you're anticipating you'll buy 50K's worth, maybe do 15K now, 15K in a couple of months and 15K in a couple of months. Is that because you think that. we could win, a, say, a 5% fall in the market? I think that's definitely possible. Um, mm -hmm. If you look, I mean, I saw a, a great chart from Goldman Sachs the other day. 
And basically it looks at how, when about markets tend to recover. Um, so we haven't really seen corporate earnings taper off just yet. Looking at the reporting season just passed, it was backward looking for 12 months. And the last 12 months were pretty good for most yeah. companies. Yeah. Um, but we're slowly starting to see earnings roll over. Um, the analysts' expectations are that earnings will fall away. And I think for each month of the last three months, earnings expectations have been decreasing. So you have to wait for earnings start to come off before markets bottom. But if you wait for earnings to bottom, you'll miss the pickup in markets because markets are forward looking. And once they anticipate we're going to see the, the bottom in earnings, they'll start to rally. So I think it's definitely possible. If it's impossible to pick the market, let's face it. But we wouldn't be surprised, let's put it that way, if we see a bit further downside before things get better. There's just a lot of negativity around at the moment and we haven't really seen corporate earnings come off the boil. We don't hold Tyro, um, we never have, but it's one that's always been on the radar because it has been such a great emerging tech name for so long. Um, they were there for a while, um, very reliant on, um, they, they was basically looking to shift their business model away from small to medium-sized businesses where they'd done very, very well to try and get some larger clients on board, which is fine, but it's obviously lower lower margins. Was that um, through their, their health play? That was, that was their health play. They also had issues in COVID because of their focus. They had a lot in the hospitality industry, for instance. Yeah. And then, so we saw that shut down, but the board is very good. There was obviously a takeover offer recently, which was very opportunistic. You, um, thought, it too, you thought it was too low? I think so. I, I think, but I, it's hard to say sometimes with Mike Cannonbrooks whether he's being opportunistic or, or, or garnering the headlines, those sorts of things. But there's definitely interest involved in the business. Um, and I think at these prices, that's always a good sign that there's more upside once things improve is when people are trying to be bottom feeders and pick up these quality names. But and private equity, never yeah. ever give away anything for free, do they? So where their first offer is never going to be the well, he's been, I think one of his first investments was Tyro. Um, Cannon Brooks. So yeah. he obviously saw something in the company initially and he sees something in the company now. Great 13%, is it? Yeah, I, I yeah. kind of know the exact no, number. Been, that number. But I haven't, I must admit, I haven't looked into the business mm. too much in recent months. So I'll have to probably come back to you with a bit more um, meat on the bone for that one. But it's definitely an interesting business which has come back a long, long way. So what, what are the history of takeover uh, offers? Like, very seldom is the first one the last, is it? Well, definitely, that's, yeah, absolutely. Um, it also brings other people out of the woodwork as, as well, people that are interested in the business, they have to get ahead of the curve before it is acquired, but I don't think that would be the last of it, especially if the price stays low for an extended period. Um, so Appen was one of those wax socks that everyone was, was loving for so long. Did you um, ever love it? We did hold it there for a while and did quite well, but we sold out well before it got to $30 and we looked like idiots. But now it's come back such a long way. Our, our problem with Appen um, was always that although it gets categorised as a tech business, it is quite labour intensive. Um, so you've got thousands of people in a room and and if you think about, say... In a room or in rooms? All oh, rooms world. around the world. Yeah, like, yeah. Um, so if you think about a a driverless vehicle, for instance, they need to program the car to identify stop signs. So you'll have thousands of people in rooms around the world basically identifying off different images. This is a stop sign so that eventually there's enough data for the computer to make a decision. Um, so 
they were performing a function which saved a lot of those large companies that you mentioned a lot of time and that they didn't need to take on the resources themselves. Appen almost became um, too big for its boots in many ways and, and the large companies such as Meta, um, such as, as Google, basically became overly reliant on them and decided that they'd become too big, we're spending too much money on these processes, now we can bring it in-house and do it ourselves. So we would be very cautious of Appen. I mean, every company has a price ultimately, but they've probably had five, six or seven downgrades yeah. in a row now. It's been a long, long time <clears throat> since they've been able to meet a forecast number, and that's never a good sign. It does show that there's a lot going on in the business, um, so much so that not even management is able to predict the future with any clarity. Mm. Uh, so they're obviously losing <clears throat> contracts, not winning contracts that they once would have won. Um, so that's a business that we would be steering clear of. It is also the case of Appen. Um, I, was, I was thinking about Appen when I was navigating around the roads of the Peloponnese. Now, <laughs> and seriously, I was because my mate, who's a Greek, he, he was the driver, the designated driver. And I was the alleged great navigator. But we, we relied on Cheryl from Google Maps. Well, that's, that's the name I gave her because she, she had a very Aussie accent. But what staggered me was we could go from one Greek village to another Greek village over a course of, say, 45 kilometres, and she would not only get us there in the shortest amount of time, but she would pronounce all these Greek names, maybe like an Australian, but it was just how could all that information have got into Google Maps? Yes. And I figure it must have been done labour-intensively. Yeah. You'll be surprised at still how, how labour-intensive <laughs> most of these things are yeah. and how reliant on people um, they are. But, Often when you get those security questions to test whether you're a robot when you're doing a yeah. bank transfer, you have to just label this is a traffic light or this is yeah. a car. That's often you doing the job on behalf of whoever's collecting that data. Yeah. Mm. And I, I often get caught out whether, whether the letter is a capital yeah. or a lowercase. And, and sometimes they, 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 they think I'm a robot, <laughs> so I get it wrong. It's complicated, but it just, yeah. Yeah. But but the, the point I thought was, when I was listening to you there, is that probably given the fact that they've got all the streets and all the villages and towns and cities in Greece already done, they don't need to do many changes to, to get more information to improve on it. It's already in the system. And that's how a lot of these AI companies work, machine learning. Once you've got enough of a base load of data and that machines up and running for long enough, it yeah. starts to become self-learning. Um, so that's something to consider as well. But the whole thing with Appen, when you've had a market pullback of this magnitude and you've had so many high quality businesses that are still performing very well and growing very well, which are back 30, 40, 50%, do you really need to look at Appen, a business that has been struggling? Because I think you can still get a very good return on the recovery of some of these other names with a lot more certainty in that the business is traveling yeah. in the right direction. Yeah. Yes, so Dikadata, um, again, this has been around for a long period of time. This has been an amazing business. He's a very He's unusual guy. Unusual fellow, Mr. Dicker. We've never invested in it and I haven't really looked at it for some time, but the thing that's always worried me with Dikadata is it's a very low margin business. It is selling a lot of hardware 
and it hasn't got a lot of contracts with these with these companies which it needs to maintain in order to maintain that growth so it always worries me if they whatever happened if they did lose a contract what happened if they ever had that margin come under pressure even more because it doesn't take much to go wrong to see that white get wiped out um, but i must admit i haven't looked at it in the last six months or so in terms of the actual daily goings on of the business so i probably should revert back with more info um, technology one is one that we have for clients and have held for, for a long time in some cases we haven't actually bought much of it uh, in a while um, but again this is a, a tech business which is actually a mature tech business in this country mm. um, they often build all these um, different processes and, and build all this different software for companies and once it's built it's very very sticky product uh, they've got a lot of contracts in the military and in the government as well um, they've had a few issues in the past which are now resolved um, i think up in queensland with some of the the council some of the work they were doing there but that's a business when you look at the balance sheet um, its fundamentals are impeccable it's had like 10 years in a row of earnings growth and revenue growth its margins have been very constant through that period um, they've got a very high return on equity no debt so mm -hmm. this is an example of a mature tech business and when you do get a sizable pullback whenever that comes mm -hmm. it's definitely one that should yeah. pop up on if the you bought on, on all those sell-offs over the last yeah. 10 years you have done very well but its growth numbers aren't as attractive as they once were as the company has matured um i think they played around with their pricing structure as well there um, a while back which is starting to pay dividends for them because they did restructure their business they might have even sold off or shut down one of their poor performing divisions mm. um so look it's again a high quality tech name um but probably no rush to, to jump in and buy it at the moment yeah so lithium is one of these long-term macro themes uh, that makes a lot of sense um for instance in europe i think about seven percent of all new cars are electric at the moment maybe eight percent now they're looking to get that up to 70 percent by 2030 mm -hmm. so that's already only eight years away so mm -hmm. there's a lot of demand that's going to be inbuilt into the system they're also looking to build up their storage capacity using batteries um, so the annual compounded growth in demand for lithium is meant to be about 18 percent per annum for the next eight years or so mm -hmm. so it's all now the demand's definitely going to be there it's just a question of the supply story what, what have you picked up because paul often says that so mm. it's not hard for supply to catch up and lithium yeah. is apparently not in short supply it just wasn't demanded it's not look it's it's in the ground the only lag factor really is just building the mines and right. we've seen a lot of um supply come online in recent years and there's going to be a lot more to come on even the two main ones on the aussie market pilbara and alkene um Although they're in production at the moment, producing a lot of lithium and capitalizing on the very high prices, they're expected to ramp up production exceptionally um, in the next three to five years. And they're not alone. There's companies all around the world doing likewise. Mm -hmm. um, it depends on what side of the fence you're on. So you've got on one hand Goldman Sachs, who thinks that supply is going to catch up in the next couple of years. And then all of a sudden there's going to be excess supply in the market, putting downward pressure on prices. So supply glut. Then you recently had Macquarie, um, which came out probably a month and a month and a half ago, um, who suggested that there's going to be a supply deficit. So yeah. it's a, it's it a very vexed depend. question. Yeah. It um, does depend on the take-up of EV, EVs. And I think the take-up is going to be bigger than we expect. Well, there's so many government subsidies in France and other countries in Europe. Like, they're quite massive. Yeah. You know, so it. for a purchaser, it's relatively <clears throat> cheap. Um, 
to I, buy an EV. Yeah, and that's and there's going to be more and more emphasis yeah. on doing so. So we actually hold AKE and PLS um, for clients. Um, again, you've got to be pretty malleable with your position in these because they can move very quickly. Yeah. We saw a false dawn a couple of years ago for lithium when the likes of Galaxy and PLS took off. Um, only for the share prices to come back with a thud once there was a, a huge amount of supply hitting the markets. But prices are up 400% or something in the last 12 months for lithium. Mm. Um, so you do have to watch it pretty closely. But I think at the moment, the market's pretty mixed. So you've got 50% on one side of the fence on the side of Goldman's mm. and 50% on the side of Macquarie um, saying that there's going to be a supply um, shortage. Eventually, one side's going to have to rush to the other side of the boat and you'll get a pretty violent reaction either way, depending on who's right. Um, there's China sits in all of this as well. They've got a lot of lithium, which hasn't really been hitting the market. They've got an inferior quality lithium. A lot of it's been kept internally for them to, to use themselves. Uh, so Goldman's argument is if there is a, a release of lithium coming out of China, an increase in supply coming out of China, that could shift the market and balance. But we are cautiously optimistic on the long-term outlook for lithium. Um, whether or not, back to the second part of your question, versus tech, it's hard to say. Obviously, lithium's had a very good run in recent times, and the lithium index has done incredibly well, whilst tech's done very poorly. I wouldn't be surprised if you're looking at a pairs trade, if in the next couple of years, tech caught up some of that and maybe lithium came back. Yeah. But I think there's more value at the moment looking at, at tech than there is lithium, just given the enormous price rallies that we've but seen. But you have to wait. But you have to wait. Joining me now is ST Wong from Prime Value. And it's interesting to see how a fund manager is looking at the market right now. Good to see you, mate. Hi, Pete. What do you reckon, mate? Do you think we're close to the low? That's a really challenging question. Um, a lot of information has come through in the last um, you know, week or so, even from overnight. So a lot of mixed signals, um, you know, from my perspective, uh, definitely looking or re-looking at stocks which have, you know, somewhat created, uh, looking perhaps to nibble. I'm probably not at a stage where I'm about to uh, pivot risk on, so to speak, um, if that's what you're asking me. But certainly from uh, a valuation perspective, um, companies are starting to look quite interesting from a number of angles. And as I look through the screens this morning, um, there are a number of companies which I've got to say kind of look pretty attractive for the longer term. Yeah, well, I'm going to ask you about those in one minute, but <clears throat> do you think that October 13 US CPI meeting could be a, a, could make or break the stock market? Wow, that's interesting. You know, at the moment, you know, and really for the past six months, it's really been, been about the macro, right? And getting that macro right has been so important for, you know, for, for guys like us from a performance perspective. Um, what I would say is that from the Fed meeting, uh, the Fed decision last week, I think the market's probably factored in quite a fair bit. Uh, look, you know, the headline CPI numbers um, will stay high. I think that's consensus or that's what the market would expect. Um, it has a prospect of coming off uh, quite quickly on a headline number, and that's because all price drives the CPI quite a fair bit and has come off a fair bit. 
but I think um, the, the the position I'm taking is that the core CPI, which is what the Fed kind of looks at, um, is still going to be reasonably high. And I, I think that, um, and, as, and as a result, um, I think the market is probably, um, you know, quite right to suggest that inflation in the U.S. at least remains quite stubborn um, and interest rates should remain high. I think the silver lining to all this is that uh, with what's happened in the last, uh, you know, five or six trading days, um, the market has readjusted interest rate expectations. And it's probably somewhat closer to uh, what the numbers are going to suggest uh, inflation is going to be in the next couple of months. So I say, you know, a lot of news has come through um, where interest rates or inflation, at least, uh, is concerned. Let's talk about the companies that you think look interesting. I always love the way you say that. So a company looks interesting. Um, and when you nominate them, tell, tell my viewers how long you expect to wait to get some interesting returns. Let's start with your first one. <laughs> Absolutely. On the spot here, look, uh, you know, from, from, from how we invest is that we try to look out for a, a three-year horizon. Uh, but that three-year timeline shifts quite uh, significantly. If you ask the same question and the sort of things I looked for 12 months ago, it's, it, was, it, it's, it was quite different to what uh, sort of elements I've been looking for in the current environment, uh, even though looking uh, out three years. So to give you a checklist, perhaps, uh, Pete, and to your audience, um, if we look out uh, into companies on a three-year basis and why we call them interesting, is that a checklist really encompasses you know, three simple matters. One, uh, industry or market structure. And I'll talk to some of the stocks to demonstrate that uh, shortly. So market structure or market position is important because in today's inflationary environment, you want companies to be able to exercise market power to price better. Um, to regain the cost of inflation of you know doing business the second che checklist i can look at uh, in today's environment looking out the uh, next couple of years is really cash flow at the end of the day we are pretty much i guess balance sheet of cash flow analysts so we look through the numbers quite closely and the stronger the cash flows in my opinion uh, the better position these companies are and again we can talk through some companies which meet this criteria. And the third aspect, uh, Peter, and this is somewhat more recent, is that in a market where it's choppy, there's a bit more uncertainty, dividends uh, come for a bigger weighting in how I look at companies or, mm. or returns. So the better the dividend payer uh, it is, um, my sense is that I'm going to get a better return or the medium to long term mm. in the current environment. Yep. So these are my current three checklists. Okay. So Start giving us some names. You've given us a, an education. Now we want to make some money. <laughs> sure. I think what's happened again last week or so, um, in telco industry uh, has been very interesting. And Telstra fits the bill of these three checklists that I've just talked about. Uh, we all know Optus is in a bit of a strife where it's a data information flows concern. It does raise the issue of reputational damage for Optus in, in the long run. Uh, maybe not next couple of months, but certainly in the long run, companies like Telstra, which is already incumbent and major player in the market, and perhaps even TPG or Vodafone is really well positioned to perhaps take market share, 
at least amongst retailers, consumers, and expanding that into corporates where you know information is sensitive. So this is company Telstra, well positioned, but potentially looking to exercise its market power to gain more market share. Mm. And what we do know as well is that um, uh, our bills, our, our, our mobile phone uh, bills, they're not coming down. The average revenue per user is actually going up for, for Telstra, and that, that's possible from an industry structure perspective. The second aspect I talked about, uh, Pete, is balance sheet or you know, cash flows. Um, and again, when we look through a company like uh, Telstra, very strong cash flows, and that's why um, the final point kind of hits home uh, the whole aspect. Dividends for Telstra, it's going to remain quite robust. And if I were looking at somewhat of a choppier market next, you know, 12 months, say, uh, I'd have the comfort of returns from dividends. And that really matches what I'm looking for in the current environment as I sit here, looking at different signals of markets. So a strong market position, potentially getting stronger, ability to price, and we can see the consequence in very strong cash flows. And finally, as a shareholder, I'm, I'm getting a consistent dividend, mm. you know, four, five, six percent yield, um, you know, almost better than what you can get from term deposits from from the banks themselves. Yeah. So Telstra is clearly one which okay. uh, makes a lot of sense. Okay, go for your second one now. <clears throat> okay, second milking. one is probably, I'll rank it through large companies, mid-cap companies and small companies. Okay. The second one I'm going to suggest to, to you, Pete, and to your audience is a company called uh, Event, Event um, let me get the name right. Uh, Event Hospitality, is it? EVT? Yeah, absolutely. So I'm just going to check my list to make sure I got it right. Event Hospitality and Entertainment. Yeah. Um, it basically um, owns, you know, resorts in Tredbo and uh, a number of uh, hotels or hospitality assets um, across the eastern seaboard within... With the, with the brands such as QT and Ridges, for example. So that's another company where I think is looking quite prospective from a small cap uh, end of town, uh, especially with, you know, where we sell down in the marketplace. Now, this stock is, is still um, trading uh, quite poorly because it is re-emerging from COVID. As we know, mm. we are locked down. But uh, what we do know is that hospitality or, um, you know, uh, expenditure on tourism is actually rising, and I think a company like uh, EVT or even uh, even hospitality entertainment is quite poised to um, to benefit. You know, if I visit Sydney, Pete, up in Sydney, if I book a hotel room, say at a Sofitel, maybe not a Sofitel, but uh, say um, uh, the Fullerton, mm. you, you're paying like four or five bucks dollars a night, and that's massive. So mm. it is an industry where um, the cost of uh, per room or per unit is actually rising much quicker than uh, in the cost of inflation or wages in, in the case of EVT. Mm. So margins should be expanding and we're going to get, you know, dividend not as attractive as Telstra, but still a decent three and a half to 4% next yeah. uh, 12 to 24 months. Mm. So EVT is probably another company which uh, looks uh, quite interesting yeah. from where we sit. And what's interesting is that before COVID, the dividend was much bigger. But as you pointed out, a lot of people haven't been going to cinemas. There was a, a, a duration where people weren't going on holidays. But I think over time, we'll probably see that dividend grow. Okay, what's your third and final? Let me suggest um, put forward 
try to hold uh, ticket code is uh, CHC. It is a REIT. Now, REIT has been one of the poorest performers in the market pretty much for the last uh, 12 months. And as we know, REITs uh, trade somewhat inversely to uh, interest rates. Interest rates have been going up quite significantly and REITs have been coming off where share price is concerned. And Charter Hall, uh, are one of the many REITs have been sold off in the last, especially in the last six months. But this is a company where, you know, from a funds management perspective, um, it introduces properties in the market and, you know, you and I can visit some of their um, um, the funds or property funds for return. Um, and they obviously get a clip um, of, of the fund management fee. Um, so this is one where the REIT sector is concerned, especially when we think uh, maybe interest rates are probably towards the end of its tightening cycle. I mean, mm. yeah, it might be not 100 basis points to go, but it's going to increase four, five, enough 400 basis points. So REITs are probably quite poised as an opportunity in the longer run, again, looking at a three-year scenario where where evaluation is concerned. And from the last reporting period, which is just the August past uh, reporting season, you know, the company is still doing really well. And yeah. what we mean by that is that um, demand for property across its assets um, are still strong. Um, vacancies are actually still quite low and rentals are still uh, reasonably high. But most importantly, the funds management business is really uh, still going really well. So I suggest mm. companies such as Charter Hall um, is looking quite prospective on a three-year basis. Maybe tactically in the short term, it still remain under some pressure, depending on where interest rates go, but certainly on a three-year perspective. Um, and uh, that's really uh, interesting from my perspective. But as a bonus, I'm going to throw in another sector which really, um, which I'm really excited about, which is a sector which I call um, toll booth companies. Uh, not the likes of Transurban, where you know you pay a toll to use its uh, highways or uh, roads, but the number of toll booth companies in Australia, which I think your audience uh, should be aware of and should, really should take into account of. Um, so these are companies such as uh, insurance brokers, um, AUB Holdings, um, Steadfast, the tickets being AUB and SDF. Um, so these are the sort of companies which will do well in any or most economic environments. And all they do is pretty much uh, take a take a clip on a ticket as we buy insurance uh, premiums, uh, they will get a clip on a ticket. And uh, another tollbooth company which sort of operates uh, similarly is IPH Limited. The code is uh, ticker is IPH. It is the largest legal IP legal firm in Australia with a sizable um, operations in uh, Singapore. Uh, growing in China as well. Um, it is not a toll booth company, which will benefit or work through any or most economic environments. Um, and the best thing is in, in all this, Pete, is that uh, IPH bills most or a number of its customers or clients in US dollars. So a lot of its earnings come from US dollar earnings, mm. which we know has been rising. Um, in the global market. So a company such as IPH Limited will actually be a beneficiary of the macro environment, in this mm -hmm. case, the, um, in the currency. So with that, uh, Tobuf Companies has, has done well for us from a portfolio perspective. And I think this will be a sector which should continue to do well um, in the current market environment. So with okay. that, Pete, uh, a number of companies for you to consider and for yeah. your audience to think about as well. Yeah. And you call them 
toll booth companies because they like when you pay when you go through a toll, it's the clip of ticket. Yeah. Absolutely, yeah. You're, you're That's all they do. Yeah. You're, you're, you're far more creative than I thought you were. Well done, mate. You've, you've really come on over the years. Thanks very thanks much. For, <laughs> thanks, thanks for joining us. That's ST Wong from Prime Value. Well, I always like to try and get a snapshot of what's going on in the housing market from people who are actually operating at the coalface. And one guy who is, is Ryan Gare, the founder of Rate Money. Ryan, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me, Peter. I appreciate it. Okay. Ryan, what do you think is going to happen with the cash rate for the rest of the year? I, I, it's your best guess, but you know, you're in the mortgage um, you know, broking industry and whatever. What's your best guess? Yes, yeah, so I have a bright outlook on uh, on interest rates now. Um, firstly, we've seen obviously the RBA have really pulled the trigger quite firmly over the last three or four interest rates going up half a percent on each on month on month. Um, I'm going to be optimistic and hope that this was the last interest rate rise of half a percent for this year. Mm. I'm actually going to go one step further and hope that that we actually, or the RBA actually decides to put rates on hold. I think obviously inflation is a main concern. However, I don't think we need to kill the economy either coming into Christmas time. Um, so my perception on this is they might even hold interest rates until early next year. I don't think that we have hit the ceiling yet on interest rate rises. I do believe though we have hit the ceiling on half a percent interest rate rises. So I think early next year, I'm looking on a bright outlook is rates will go again, but only quarter of a percent now moving forward. Um, and maybe only one or two more before they actually decide to to cool it off and, and stop increasing interest rates. Okay. Um, Let, let's, let's use the demand for loans as a, full, mm. as a forward indicator of what's going to happen in the housing sector. What, what is the demand for new loans? I, I suspect refinancing is a big demand for refinancing now, but yes. new loans are a good indication of whether people want to buy houses. Uh, are, is the demand for new home loans coming off the boil? Uh, for new purchases, they have come off the boil. Obviously, last month was um, record... Um, interest in refinances. Yeah. Um, people are still buying. Now, the interesting thing is everyone has a short memory as well, Peter. So pre-COVID, these were the interest rates that people were buying property at. Hmm. It's only two and a half years ago or three years ago that this was the norm. Um, the problem was in such a short space of time with um, with free funding for the banks and lenders and those sorts of things, or you know, very minimal um, interest rates given out from the government is where the banks were, of course, and the lenders were delivering all time lows on on interest rates out to the consumer. Um, however, prior to that, and that's only three years ago, these were the interest rates that customers were paying, right? You know, so I see it as a bit of a media bang up. There's no doubt about that. Um, 
because prior to this, people were paying their mortgages, people were still being able to go out for dinner and all those sorts of things. So I don't see the doom and gloom that we're going to be coming into a recession or the whole property market's going to crash by 30%. Obviously, there will be a call because that's what they're trying to do. Um, but as we move into spring um, and year on year, I've been doing this now for 20 years. Um, spring, there's always a, a bounce in everybody's step. They start to look at different options. If that's investing, of course, continuing to refinance. Um, and those sorts of things. The interesting thing will be is how spending goes with people in redraw. Obviously, a lot of customers out there still have money in redraw with low interest rates. They're able to save some money as well. The interesting thing will be for us is to see how that spending goes over Christmas, um, which will more than likely put an effect on what the RBA does with interest rates early next year as well. Okay. What's been the um, demand from, say, new borrowers because they've over-borrowed and they want to refinance to try and make their repayments more um, more tolerable? Are you seeing a bit of that? Yeah, we, we haven't seen any um, real mortgage stress yet, um, so to speak. However, when the media is talking about and everything's out there about interest rates and you should be saving and how you can save and those sorts of things, obviously the refinance market is very hot at the moment. Um, it's very competitive still. Um, interest rates are still quite cheap overall on historically as well. However, with interest rates going up and they have gone up month on month on month, um, every mum and dad out there is looking to try and save a few dollars each month as well. So the inquiry level on refinances for us as well and just throughout the industry um, is certainly at an all-time high compared to last year. Of course, there was a lot of people who were investing in property as well. Okay. Final question, mate. Given what you're seeing in terms of interest in new loans, you know, the the, the mortgage stress levels you, you are seeing, do you suspect then, and you've kind of alluded to it, that these calls of 25 and 30% falls in house prices will, will end up being um, um, an exaggeration? I, as a generalisation, absolutely. There will be certain areas without a doubt where suburbs, they have overstretched themselves and that's always the case. Um, but if you look at it holistically as a even kill throughout Australia, I really don't see it, um, especially in your metro sorts of areas and, and, and whatever else, I really don't see interest um, uh, property prices dropping, sorry, 25 or 30%. I yeah. think there will be a level out, as I've said before, around about 10%. Um, and that's what, of course, they're wanting to do. But no, I don't think there's going to be people who have bought their property and now it's not worth what it was okay. 12 months ago, 18 months ago, five years ago. Yeah. One last quick one. Uh, I did a story today on the rental crisis, the lack of supply of properties with immigrants coming in and foreign students coming back. Are you starting to see a lot more interest from investors to borrow, to buy property, which they ultimately will rent out? Yeah, and I do think this now coming into spring as the investors come out and the, the weather, I know it's crazy. It seems to uh, pull everybody out of the winter doldrums, so to speak. 
And obviously with rental um, prices surging, um, you know, that also comes out with savvy investors knowing that they can snap up a good bargain um, and also as well get a really good rental return, which effectively can sometimes neutralise that mortgage where you don't really have to tip in that much at the end of each month out of your own pocket. Great so stuff. Without a doubt. All right, Ryan, thanks for joining us, mate. Thanks, Peter. Take care. Yeah. That's Ryan Gare of Rate Money. Thanks for joining us. And don't forget, it's a public holiday on Monday, so we won't be doing the show, but we will have a blockbuster of a show next Thursday. Thanks for joining us. And don't forget, go to switzerreport.com.au if you want more information about stocks you might want to sell or buy. Thanks for joining us.